welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Zeba Khan. She is an internationally renowned Ayurvedic clinician, meditation teacher, energy healer, and motivational speaker. She uses holistic treatment to restore her patients' mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health and to prevent disease and disorders. In particular, she focuses on healing trauma, which often leads to anxiety, depression, feelings of loss, and low self-esteem. Welcome. Thank you, Tom, and welcome back, Ziba. Um, we just did a podcast with Ziba, and I'm sort of breathtaking with everything I just heard her say. And she gives one of the most concise overviews of the healing journey that I've ever heard. So I'm excited about that. But she's uh, internationally known. She's spent time with the Dalai Lama. She's taught corporate clients. And basically, she is telling people or teaching people how to take care of themselves and be well. So Ziba, welcome back. I'm excited to have you on the show. And as you know, I'm sort of have to mentally truncate our first podcast because there's a whole philosophical approach that you brought up that's truly the healing journey. And we'll talk about that another time. But can you re-explain to the audience who didn't hear the first podcast, maybe just your overall approach with Ayurvedic healing and what that means? Well, thanks so much for having me, Tom and David. I'm so excited to be here today. I truly am. Ayurveda is a 5,000-year-old ancient Indian science of health and well-being, and that's its primary essence. And in the event that a person falls ill, then it prescribes treatments based on a person's unique dosha. So what is a dosha? In Ayurveda, we say that there are five elements of nature that are in every one of us and in everything in the universe. And those five elements are earth, water, fire, air, and space. And they form in particular ways to create the three doshas. We all have all three doshas. It's simply a matter of finding out what is your primary dosha, what's your secondary dosha, and what's your tertiary dosha. And then discovering in what percentage you have all of these doshas. Once you have that information, it's very empowering because you can find out what ailments you are likely to develop and begin doing, begin taking prophylactic measures today to make sure or to minimize your chances of developing those particular ailments or illnesses or diseases. So the three doshas, um, first we'll start with vata dosha, which is a combination of air and space. And vata, V-A-T-A, corresponds to the nervous system in the body. And so if a person is predominantly vata dosha and say they're really out of balance, they're going to be more likely to experience uh, neurological disorders, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. Uh, They'll have a lot of nervousness. They won't be able to sit still. They'll be fidgety, Uh, tics, muscle spasms, twitches. Those are indicative of vata dosha imbalance in the body. Vata dosha imbalance in the mind 
will tend to manifest as anxiety. Because again, vata dominates movement in the body, as well as movement in the mind, racing thoughts. Um, our vata dosha people, personality-wise, are super creative. They'll have great ideas, they'll propose them, they'll start projects, and then they won't finish them. But they're very, very creative people. So that again, you know, those are all examples of vata dosha, not only in the body, but in the mind as well. Emotionally, some people say vata dosha people are very fickle because there's too much movement of their feelings. They change feelings very quickly. Then we have pitta dosha, P-I-T-T-A. And pitta is a combination of fire and water. And pitta in the body is governed by uh, agni, which is the digestive fire. So pitta shows up in our digestive system. And if someone has very well-balanced pitta dosha, they'll have great digestion because pitta, the fire, is the essence of transformation in the body, right? We're transforming the food that we ingest with the hydrochloric acid and our digestive enzymes. And we have the proper amount of bile and the liver's functioning optimally. So we measure pitta in the body and the functioning of pitta according to a person's digestion. When their pitta is out of balance, they'll have GERD, acid reflux, stomach ulcers, uh, hyperacidity, they'll have skin issues as well. All of those things are indicative of pitta dosha. When it comes to personality, they are great leaders. They're very good at taking charge. They're very good at transforming what's in the material world. They're great at implementing ideas. When they're out of balance, they're very bossy people. And personality-wise, again, because fire is their main component, uh, they are quick to, to ire when they're out of balance. And so they can become, at the extreme, they can become extremely violent, not only towards others, but towards themselves. Of all the three dosha types, they have the highest propensity towards suicidal ideation because they're very critical people, again, not only of others, but of themselves as well. Right. Okay. And last, we have kapha dosha people, K-A-P-H-A, and kapha is a combination of earth and water. And kapha in the body is housed basically in all of our end products, mucus, lubrication, and um, kapha dosha people, when they're out of balance, are prone to heart disease, atherosclerosis, diabetes, there's stagnation in the body, things are not moving, the organs are under-functioning. And emotionally, our kapha dosha people are prone to depression. They ruminate, they regret the past. And so when a person comes to me with an ailment, if they come to me with any particular ailment, the first thing I need to do as an Ayurvedic clinician is diagnose their dosha. And that gives me a starting point about how I should approach their particular imbalance or disease. And you have a test on your website, correct? I do. Okay. This is so you can do it yourself, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's take me as your patient. Okay. And good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been torturing Tom for many years. So um, good luck with that. Anyway, I'm just going to tell you right at the get go. I'm your um, Pitta is going to be yes. Pam. 
and yes. I don't have to take the test to know that. <laughs> so, um, okay, so I'm a pitta dosha, but I just want to bring this back into Eastern versus Western medicine, because it's not a versus, it is actually the same thing, except what Eastern medicine has done for thousands of years, obviously, as a practitioner, I found out things that worked with my patients, things that didn't work. And these processes evolved over thousands and thousands of years. So if they never worked, they wouldn't have evolved. Mm -hmm. And the language might be a little bit different for you, but when you start looking in terms of Western medicine and the neuroscience behind disease, um, this actually fits in perfectly. That's why about 10 years ago, I, start, I started to realize, well, what I'll just be blunt. Western medicine has essentially no data to support what they do. And they're doing randomized study, randomized clinical studies on people but they can't control from enough variables because people are infinitely different. So what we call data is actually really dangerous because it's not data at all. It does not acknowledge individual, individual, individual patient. And since we don't talk to patients and know our patients, how can we treat you? So Western medicine, I'll use the word, has an arrogance that is incredibly damaging both to society and also to the individual patients. And I'll point out the first thing that you're doing is you're getting, getting to know who you're patient is. That's a huge, huge factor. So that being said, um, you know a bit about me because you understood, you use the word dosha or personality type, whatever word you want to use, but but the bottom line is that you now know something about me. That's the bottom line. Okay, mm -hmm. so here I am. What do we do next? So I would say, I mean, if you come to me for a consultation, David, the first thing I do is prescribe your dosha, but of course you'd be coming to me for a reason, right? And I- Can I stop you for a second? So the worst part of my disease, worst, I was, you may not know this, but I was in 15 years of chronic pain that was horrible, mental and physical. So I had 17 different physical and mental symptoms. I had anxiety, depression, OCD, suicidal. Um, I had skin rashes, burning in my feet, ringing in my ears, migraine headaches. I, that's just part of the list. I had 17 different physical and mental symptoms. Nobody could tell me what was going on. So let's say I came to you in that state of mind, which was about 19, I'm sorry, about 2001. I was completely a mess. I was actively suicidal in 2002 and nobody could tell me anything. And I'm a physician. I'm a high level physician. I had all sorts of resources. Nobody could tell me what was going on. So here I am. 2001, just walked in your office, and I'm just sort of a mess, to put it mildly. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a lot going on. So that would be, all the symptoms you described would be an accumulation of imbalance in all three of the doshas. Right. But we'd also have to look, physiologically, we'd have to look at mitochondrial resuscitation. Right. And from an energetic heart perspective, there appears to be dissonance between your mind and your heart. And so it appears that in the material world, you were on a path and you were quite successful on a path that created dissonance within your, within your heart and within your body. That would be, so, in retrospect particularly, that would be an understatement. So okay. I was connected with my image of David Hanscom I was connected with being a surgeon and I clearly wasn't connected with myself and mm -hmm. had a very abusive background. I did not have a benevolent background. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's happened to a lot of professionals who are trying to outrun our past. And so people that know me now compared to 20 years ago or maybe a little bit longer 
I'm not the same person. They they said I wasn't really there many years ago. So your your description is very interestingly accurate. There, you know, bless you. And, and like you said, so many of us are, are trying to outrun our past and we do it in different ways, whether it's becoming a workaholic or finding some substance to numb ourselves out with, you know, whether it's Netflix or porn or drugs or alcohol or, you know, just to be in denial of what is so we don't have to face it and move through it and process right. it. And so you were no different, you know, all of our, all of our traumas are different. And, you know, what is traumatic for me and my traumas, David, you might look at and laugh at and say, that's nothing compared to what I've been through. And, you know, someone else might look at your traumas and say, oh, you think that's bad? Listen to what I've been through. But that's not the point. The point is not in comparing traumas. The point is, are we within ourselves well-resourced to cope with whatever it is that's happening to us? Right. If you're very, very well-resourced, you can handle so much that perhaps others can't. Right. So it's all a matter of being resourced. And that's really one of the things that Ayurveda teaches us with this component, as I talked about earlier, of prayer and meditation. It's building up that silo of reserves and good habits so that when crisis hits, when illness hits, when trauma hits, I should actually say if they hit, right. then we are already equipped. It's really tough to go through a hard time and simultaneously develop good habits. Right. It's much easier to have those good habits in place already. And in the event that an unpleasant circumstance or situation or person enters into our life, then we feel, you know what, I'm strong enough to deal with this. I have these resources. I am resilient. I've been through worse than this. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel with this right now. But one thing I know is I can get through it through my meditation practice, my prayer practice, and just the sense of of compassion and forgiveness and inner strength that I've built up over the years. The problem that I see with myself and also many of my medical colleagues, but also just many, many people in our country, maybe around the world, is that we're not taught any of these tools. I had no, what you just said right there, I didn't have the faintest clue until I was maybe 55 years old. Didn't have a hint that these things made any sense to me. In fact, it's a search and I just blew this stuff off. I mean, honestly, and I have already got a lot of hits from my medical colleagues about why are you talking to an Ayurvedic clinician? And I'm going, well, where's your data? I mean, you have no data. And there's lots of data in our country that doesn't put it in the context of the tradition, but it is your tradition. Uh, basically, disease, mental and physical, is created by sustained stress physiology which tears your body down, you're under constant attack, and you just pointed tools to actually bring people back into healing. And our, the model I put together is called dynamic healing, just a term where, again, you look at your stresses, how do you process those? You look at your nervous system, how adaptable is it? And you look at your physiology, um, which is either fight or flight or safety. And what you're talking about, which again, the essence of the healing journey is, how do you maximize your chances of staying in safety longer? Because you can't get rid of fight or flight. We're not going to survive. So it's actually a gift. And it was Bruce Lipton who taught me that your unconscious brain, your survival brain processes about 40 million bits of information per second. Your conscious brain processes 40. It's a million to one ratio. So you can't control it, but you can learn to regulate it. 
And so if I hear you correctly, you're, you're talking about some very powerful tools to regulate your body's physiology. But you said in your tradition, you were taught these since you were very young. Did I hear that correctly? Mm -hmm. So that's my dream is actually start teaching schools in our school system, which doesn't seem very likely very anytime soon. But growing up with that approach, um, life must look a lot different to you than it did to me. As far as I had no clue, I had, I had all these really pretty horrendous stresses coming at me without a hint of any tools. So you're uncomfortable. So, okay, let's say I'm today, I'm coming to you with all these symptoms. I have no tools. I'm just sort of out of control. How would you, we already decided that really all three doses are flying away, but maybe the pit is the most central one. What are some of the next approaches that you take with people? So in that case for a pitta dosha person who came to me with your symptoms, the first thing I would do is try to bring that pitta dosha back into balance. If a vata person came to me with those symptoms, I try to balance their vata first. Because sometimes in Ayurveda, when you balance the dosha that's most out of whack, the other two will naturally fall into place. You don't have to necessarily tackle all three. Right. So that would be the first thing. And then I would have you um, go through some labs. I mean, first of all, I'd, I'd sit down for a consultation with you that typically takes up to an hour. Okay. And I would ask you all kinds of questions. And again, that's, you know, that's the complete opposite from our Western model of medicine, Correct. right? Yep. Under six minutes and you're in and out. Right. I would ask you questions about not only your medical history, but also your sleep patterns. What does your diet look like? What does your hydration look like? Um, are you taking any supplements? Are you taking any medication? What is your stress level on a scale of one to 10? And what are the sources of your stress? Do you have a spiritual practice? Do you go to a place of worship? Do you pray? Do you meditate? When you're stressed out, what do you do? what brings you joy in life and it's very interesting when i ask people this question david they'll tell me and then my next question is and how often do you engage in these activities and the answer that i always hear is once or twice a year really that's it right so you voluntarily create joy for yourself only once or twice a year right and yet throughout any given day you have more than one or two stressors right right so why do you think you're Right. Mm, exactly. And then I ask them why they want to get better. Because you can have a plan, but if you don't have a purpose, your healing ain't going to happen. Yep. Yeah. So you're doing this for your kids. Are you doing it because your daughter's getting married next year? Are you doing it because you, you know, you don't want to die right now? Because very often for people, I am a last resort. So I'm going to say something I think that you'll agree with is that I've also learned to me five years to figure this out. So people are in different aspects of mental and physical pain. They're pretty miserable and they actually don't want to give it up. That's probably the biggest barrier to healing is that they actually do not want to give up their pain. And from a scientific standpoint, because anger is addicting. You have dopamine, it feels powerful, covers up the feeling of anxiety, which is feeling vulnerable. And there's no rewards in nature for being vulnerable, same thing, we're mammals. So since emotional pain is processed in some circuits as physical pain, 
we don't like pain, period, so we just stuff it. So I've had people just overtly tell me that they start letting go of their anger. They start developing pretty extreme anxiety and they just turn around and don't engage and just go back into their anger mode. So you just brought up, I think the biggest obstacle to healing is the inability or unwillingness to give up anger. So that's a very interesting question to me. So of, of 100 people that come to you, when you ask a question, why do you want to get better? What are some of the answers that you get? Usually they say that I want to get better so that I can be a better person and be more available to my loved ones. You know, as a mother, I want to become a better mother. I want to be more present with my kids. I feel that I neglect them. I have a lot of guilt surrounding it. Or I want to be a better partner. Or, you know, I, I feel that even though I was given this diagnosis, I'm too young to die and I don't want to die and I'm not ready to die. Um, but what I find fascinating in what you said is that there is this component of people, there's some part of us that really doesn't want to heal because we're afraid that if we do release that trauma, we're letting go of our identity. Yep. And there's always this element of forgiveness and compassion that it's that's involved in our healing and very often we've spent decades holding on to that grudge or longer and it's or longer and it's defined us right we yeah. have made life choices to avoid people like that to you know stop talking to this individual who's wronged us and there is there is a small part of us that also believes even though cognitively we know it's not true our heart believes that if we forgive we're condoning what they did Right. Right. So we can go, <laughs> we've got maybe another six podcasts to go here, but I mean, I think the final, this is jumping way ahead of the game. I'm not expecting the audience to understand what I'm saying right now, but you know, the ultimate healing journey is you, your ego dissolves. If you don't, you don't have an ego to defend, life becomes much, much simpler. It, totally. It just, you don't, anyway, you know what I'm saying? And most people do not understand what I'm saying. And I, I've learned that, I could learn that 30 years ago and been a lot happier. But we spend a tremendous amount of energy defending our ego, which is a mental construct that still fires up the physiology. But I do want to emphasize really clearly before I finish off a couple of stories here that what Ziva is doing and what um, is healing is that you're changing your body's chemical makeup this is not a psychological issue this is a physiological state with the psyche being one of the inputs that changes it but everything else diet exercise sleep all those things change your physiology also so i'm really excited about what you are doing to put it mildly and i can you give us a couple of stories of people that you've treated that have come to you as a last resort what some of the healing processes look like yeah, so one of my first clients was actually, um, she was this lovely lady and she'd been married um, for about 35 years and had had chronic neck pain for about 32 of those years. And I saw her, the first time I saw her and she said, you know, I've been on painkillers, she was addicted to her painkillers. She had two daughters who were grown and she said, you know, I, I just, I have very poor quality of life. And we spent a little time together. And as I found out about her stressors and what was causing her this tremendous stress in her life. And in Ayurveda, when we, you know, we, we also say that energy is housed in the body. And so the neck 
is where uh, a lack of support is housed. So I said, in times of stress, who can you call at 1 a.m. or 3 a.m. and say, hey, I need help, can you come over? Or can I just talk to you? Will you just listen to me at this hour? And she said, no one. And I said, well, what about your husband, who was this highfalutin banker here in Singapore, you know, some hotshot, and so they were extremely wealthy. And she said, he's never around. And um, she said, it's, so I asked her about the quality of her relationship with him, and she said, it's been very sad and very lonely. And as we got to talking, she realized that she needed to exit the relationship because their relationship and the way he conducted himself within it. And then stories came out later that he had been unfaithful. David, the moment she decided to leave the marriage, her neck pain went away and she came off of her painkillers. I did some traction. We did some Ayurvedic therapy. I gave her some herbs and oils to apply and whatnot. So it wasn't just all psychological. And it wasn't just this you know, magic pill that she decided she needed to divorce him and all the pain went away. But after 32 years of chronic neck pain, that woman came off her, her opioid medications that same week. Yeah, and in my world, we a different story a little bit, but um, yeah, we have hundreds and hundreds of patients with similar stories. So it's not about <clears throat> managing pain, the pain disappears because again, you change your body's chemistry. And when you're in fight or flight, you've actually inflamed the brain, you've doubled the speed of nerve conduction. So you feel things more. And so you, you've made a profound change in your body's physiological state and there's a start, the paper out of Texas that shows that a sense of control actually lowers inflammatory markers, period. So it's all neuroscience based. And so in medicine, in, in America here, we think this type of thing is quote psychological. Again, the psyche has something to do with it. We look at thoughts as input and your emotions as a physiology. So yeah, the thoughts do change your physiological makeup. So we've had all sorts of stories like that Again, it doesn't happen quite that dramatically a lot of the time, but a lot of times it does. Sometimes it's six months or a year before they hit that tipping point that actually pulls them out of the hole. And by the way, the, the tipping point in my observation is always around anger and feeling trapped. Once they break out of feeling angry, again, it's a day-to-day -day process. It happens multiple times a day, every day. I call it anger processing now. But people can get better without addressing anger, but they never really heal. And that's always the tipping point. So that is a great story. And so I'm excited to have you here. There's lots of philosophical things we can talk about and we will talk about in the future. And so you're in Singapore, what you are seeing clients online, correct? Mm -hmm. And do you have any capacity at all to see people that we can send your way or how do we do that? So they can sign up for a consultation with me through the website, and then I'll hear what their ailments are because I need to make sure that I'm able to work with them right. uh, so that I don't take everyone as a client. First, I need to make sure that I'm able to help them. Right. And part of that involves them really and truly being ready to heal and doing some tough work sometimes, like you said, processing that anger. Right. shifting from this victim mentality to a creator mentality so that they can feel that they have a sense of control over their future. Right. Right. And if they're not ready to do those two things, David, then I know that we're going to be wasting each other's time and they're going to be frustrated because they're not going to get better. 
So they have to believe that they can get better and that they're willing to do the things required for them to get better. And one thing I would suggest to my, uh, my audience here is that we have what's called the DOC Journey. It's a course and an app that's basically a found a foundational set of knowledge. And what happens about half the people go through it, that's all they need. Whether three months, six months, or a year, they generally heal on their own. They always do better with the coach, but there's also a good half of those people that need somebody like you to take it to the next step. So I look at what I do as sort of foundational work. Um, I can't do what you do. I'm a surgeon. I still can't quite get into your space of actually listening like I could or should. But no, I'm excited to have you as a resource. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. So it's zebahealth.com. Zebahealing.com. I thought I had it right. Okay. <laughs> Healing.com. And so we will put you up on our resources page. You will have a chance to access her services. And I'm very excited because this is what we don't have enough of is that next step beyond what I do with the doc journey. And so I'm very excited about that. So um, Ziva, thank you very much. Enjoy meeting you. Thank you. I had a great time today, David. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our guest, Ziba Khan, for being on the show today and for sharing the elements of her Ayurvedic practice and her approach to working with patients. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.